All right, we have uh, Johnny May tonight. Johnny May. Hey, hey guys. Who are you? We start. Yeah. Don't ask that question. Me a time. May it be your will, Adonai God, that a mishap not come about through me. And may I not stumble in a matter of law and cause my colleagues to rejoice over me. And may I not say something regarding something which is Tameh, that it is Tahor. And not regarding something that is ta- which is Tahor, that it is Tameh. And may my colleagues not stumble in a matter of law, and I rejoice over them. For Adonai grants wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil our eyes that we may perceive wondrous things. Torah. Amen. Amen. Okay, gentlemen. Um, this is, I'm going to admit that I'm just a little bit nervous because this is some heady material. And, and it's actually really great. And it's a little bit more daunting than I thought it was initially. But if you guys will give me some brain power for the next little bit, um, I hope to make it worth your while. And maybe we can take away some stuff that will... Um, Increase our performing of mitzvot with joy. Amen. All right, and this is basically the first time a, a Rabbi Nachman lesson has been done in here, and um, I chose to do the lesson number twenty-four just because that's what I was studying the most recently. For the folks watching and for the recording. Uh, could you just give a really brief synopsis? Who's Rabbi Nachman? Uh, I am gonna do that. Okay, minus one for anticipation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that could be for that <laughs> Two. Um, so yes, our um, extremely zealous um, compatriot over here, Taylor, wants to know who's Rabbi Nachman, and what is Likutei Moharan, and why? How do, is that how you say it? And, um, so, um, I've prepared, um, just a few notes regarding uh, Rabbi Nachman. Um, he's basically a unique figure from Jewish history um, in the time of the Hasidut. Um, the Jewish revival movement founded by his great-grandfather, uh, the Baal Shem Tov. There's a little name dropping for you. In his lifetime, the Rebbe was well known as a Hasidic master, attracting hundreds of followers. And today, over 200 years after his passing, his followers number in the tens of thousands, making him a vibrant source of encouragement and guidance in today's world. That's why we should study his works. Um, they, uh, because of the relevance and the encouragement, the, the, the guidance and um, the way that they will impact our lives through his teachings. Um, I got to eat Shabbos this past week with 10th generation Baal Shem Tov. What? So it's Can true. I touch your tzitzit no. later? That's <laughs> crazy. Um, he's usually referred to as of Breslov. Breslov was a city in Ukraine where he lived the majority of his life. And um, he was also, he also died and was, and is buried there in the city of Uman uh, in the Ukraine. Um, his star student, Reb Nosen, um, is the one who, when he came on to studying with Rebbe Nachman, um, he began to write down all, a lot of Rebbe Nachman's teachings 
And fun fact, Rebnosen is the only reason we really we have uh, the, the precious words of the Rebbe. So um, uh, major hat tip to Rebnosen. And then um, in his young years, the Rebbe was wise and true wise to the true meaning of life. He spent much of his time immersed in Torah study and went to great lengths to perfect his character traits and his awe of heaven. Um, let's see, what else do we have here? Um, this is kind of cool. Rebbe's two sons and, his, and two of his daughters died in infancy, but he was survived by four daughters. So without sons to succeed him, it was natural that his chassidut would die out with its leader. But Rabbi Nachman had a secret that ensured the <coughs> continuation of his teachings and the growth of his following generations to come. That secret was none other than his main disciple, Rabbi Nosen. And so that's why we have what we have, what we're going to be studying tonight. That's why... Peter has basically infected the community with Christ-like teachings, and <laughs> it's because they survived because of Rebnosa. All right. Likte um, Mahoran, it is essentially a collected set of Nachman's teachings. It exists in two main volumes, and there are, gosh, how many is it? 110, 210? Lessons? Yeah, total? Like 250. Okay. Yeah, over 200 lessons total. And um, like I mentioned earlier, the majority of them were transmitted orally to a star student, Reb Nosen, who wrote them all down. And it's because of him that we even have this precious collection today. All right. So the setup for tonight's lesson is that um, lessons number 23 through 31 all are based on um, a story in the Talmud in Tractate Brachot called the wise men, the Sabe Dabe Atuna. No, that's not a spicy fish sandwich. It's, <laughs> it's the wise men of Athens. And I'm actually going to read that because we didn't, I didn't want to give it to you guys to, to read outside of class. I think that it'll just be, it'll be great for the people listening in. It'll great to have, be great to have it on the recording and, um, just, it's just really pertinent, so, and it's not super long. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read that for us as the setup for the lesson itself. Okay? Uh, just a little bit of background before I get into this. It's one of the uh, most extraordinary and puzzling agotic. Does everyone know what agotic means? Nope. It's story-related. Okay. Uh, it's not halakhic. It's not about legal issues. It's presenting, um, I don't know, you could almost treat it like a parable because it's teaching through a story. Through a true story. Yes, through a true story. <laughs> All right? And so, and it relates how Rabbi Yehoshua ben Kananiah, the wisest of the Jews, as he's called in Chagigah 5, outsmarted the 60 wise men of Athens. Okay? And a little bit of background about these jokers. Is <laughs> these 60 men were renowned for their great wisdom and profound understanding. And it makes what we're about to hear all the more incredible and ludicrous sounding. Okay? Because it's, it's a little bit out there. Okay? 
And it should be noted that um, the Maharaj, uh, Maharsha and the majority of all commentators uh, conclude that there's no way to interpret this exchange literally. Uh, it's Agada. What's that? It's Agada, so you're not supposed to take it literally. Exactly. He, he explains that the entire true, encounter is a metaphysical debate <laughs> between Jew and Gentile on the topics of faith, receiving the Torah, the uniqueness of the Jewish people, the importance of attaching, self to, uh, attaching oneself to God, prophecy, reward and punishment, um, the external nature of the Torah, exile, and of course, becoming a Mashiach. So um, the Ari says that this exchange contains some of the deepest secrets in all of Kabbalah. And um, the Rebbe Nachman in his lessons 23 through 31, of which we're doing 24, reveals some of these amazing insights and shows how despite their esoteric nature, they can be applied to everyday life. Um, there were, what's that? I want to hear the story. Okay, bro. we're getting there. We're there. Okay, does that <laughs> kind of whet your appetite for it a little bit? Okay, the wise men of Athens from Berachot 8, Bravo. Once the Roman emperor asked Rabbi Yehoshua ben Hananiah the following question. How long is the gestation period of a snake? Seven years, Rabbi Yehoshua answered. When the emperor insisted that the wise men of Athens had mated two snakes and the female gave birth after three years, Rabbi Yehoshua replied that the snake had already been pregnant for four. <laughs> when questioned how the snake could have mated once it was pregnant, Rabbi Yehoshua explained, in this, snakes are no different than humans. But these wise men are experts, the emperor argued. Perhaps, but we are even smarter, Rabbi Yehoshua countered. If that's the case, the emperor demanded, then go to them, outsmart them, and bring them here. How many are they? There are 60 of them. Rabbi Yehoshua requested that the emperor prepare for him a ship with 60 rooms, each with 60 chairs. When this was done, he set out for Athens. When Rabbi Yehoshua arrived in Athens, he entered a slaughterhouse. There he found a butcher carving an animal. Rabbi Yehoshua said to him, Sell me your head. All right, replied the butcher. Then, when asked how much he wanted for it, the butcher replied that it cost half a zoos. Rabbi Yehoshua handed him the money and said, Now give me your head. The butcher handed him the head of the animal. I didn't ask for the animal's head, Rabbi Yehoshua insisted. I asked for your head. Now, if you want me to free you, start marching. Guide me to the entrance of the College of the Wise Men of Athens. The butcher protested, I'm afraid to take you there. If they catch someone pointing out their college, they'll kill him. Then take along a bundle of reeds, Rabbi Yehoshua advised, and when we come to the door, lower the bundle to the floor as though you were resting. When he came there to where the wise men resided, Rabbi Yehoshua noticed that there were guards inside the entrance to prevent anyone from entering the guard, and guards outside the entrance to prevent any of the elders from exiting. If the elders noticed the footprint of someone entering, they would kill the outer guards for having been negligent. If they noticed the footprint of someone leaving, they would kill the inner guards for having been negligent. As for the guards themselves, they would never kill anyone unless that person had either entered or exited entirely. What did Rabbi Yehoshua do? He reversed his sandals and stood in the entrance making footprints. When the elders noticed the prince, they presumed that someone had left, so they killed all the inner guards. 
Then Rabbi Yehoshua again reversed his sandals and stood in the entrance, making footprints. When the elders noticed the prince, they presumed that someone had entered, so they killed the rest of the guards. Rabbi Yehoshua was then able to enter. <laughs> wow. This is so when, he, so cool. when he entered, he found the younger wise men sitting in the more prestigious upper gallery, and the older wise men sitting below. This was done intentionally in order to put an intruder at a disadvantage. If he first greeted the elders, the younger ones would accuse him of having failed to show them the respect due them by virtue of their more prominent position. And if he first greeted the younger ones in the upper gallery, the elders would accuse him of having failed to show them the respect due them by virtue of their age. Thus, either way, they would have a claim against him and have him put to death. Rabbi Yehoshua understood this and therefore greeted all of the wise men of Athens at one time. What business have you here? they asked. I am a Jewish, Jewish sage, and I have come to learn wisdom from you, he answered. If so, we shall ask you some questions. Fine, said Rabbi Yehoshua. If you get the better of me, you can do with me whatever you please. But if I prove the smarter, then I ask that you break bread with me aboard my ship. The wise men of Athens asked Rabbi Yehoshua, a man once proposed marriage to a woman, but was turned down. Afterwards, he went elsewhere, seeking the hand of a woman even more, dis of a, even more distinguished lineage than the first. Does this make sense? Should he not have learned from the first experience? If he was not worthy of the first woman, he would certainly not be worthy of the second. Why then did he try a second time? Rabbi Yehoshua took a stake, lowered his hand, and attempted to knock the stake into the wall where there were no holes. It did not enter. Lifting his hands, he placed the stake higher, where a hole already existed, and the stake entered. He said, the same is true of that man. He has found his match. The wise men of Athens asked, what of the person who lent money to his neighbor and had a very hard time collecting it? Why did he then lend money to others? Shouldn't he have learned his lesson the first time? Don't let this surprise you, Rabbi Yehoshua answered them. This person is like someone who goes into a marsh and cuts down reeds till he has piled up a bundle. He wants to lift it up but can't. What does he do? He continues cutting, all the while piling new bundles upon the first one until someone comes along to help him. Then they will lift the entire load, including the first bundle. The wise men of Athens said to him, Tell us something false. Rabbi Yehoshua said, We had a mule which gave birth. Hanging from the neck of the newborn mule was a note on which was written, Your father's estate owes me 100,000 coins. The wise men said to him, What are you talking about? <laughs> Can a mule give birth? Aha, these are the false words you asked for. They asked him, Salt that is rotting and smells, how can one preserve it? With the placenta of a mule, he replied. But everyone knows that a mule has no placenta, they insisted. True, he admitted, but can salt rot? <laughs> <laughs> the wise men of Athens said to Rabbi Yehoshua, Build us a house that can stand in the heavens. Uttering a holy name, Rabbi Yehoshua ascended and remained standing between heaven and earth. Bring me some bricks and cement up here. But you know it's impossible to bring bricks and mortar up there, they protested. If that's the case, then it's impossible for anyone to build a house between heaven and earth. Tell us, the wise men said to Rabbi Yehoshua, where is the center of the universe? 
he pointed his finger up and said, right here. Who says? Take a rope and measure. You'll see. And that one will actually be the, the, uh, the question off of which tonight's lesson is based. There's a couple more. The wise men said, we have a well in the desert. Bring it to the city. Rabbi Yehoshua took a handful of bran and threw it in front of him. Make me a rope out of this bran and I'll bring it. And if you don't fill my request, I won't fill yours. It's impossible to make a rope out of bran, they objected. And it's just impossible, just as impossible for a person to bring a well from the desert to the city. We have a millstone that is broken into pieces, the wise men said to Rabbi Yehoshua. Would you please sew it for us? Taking one of the pieces, he threw it at them and said, Spin some thread for, from this for me, the way the women use threads of a garment to sew it together. Then I'll sew the millstone for you. Impossible, they insisted. It's just not possible to spin thread from stone. Then is it possible to sew a millstone? How does one harvest a garden of knives? <laughs> the wise men asked Rabbi Yehoshua, What instrument is used? A donkey's horn, he answered. Have you ever seen a donkey with a horn? They said in belief. Have you ever seen a garden which produces knives? <laughs> the wise men took out two eggs and placed them before Rabbi Yehoshua. Tell us if you can, which of these was laid by the white hen and which by the black? Rabbi Yehoshua brought two cheeses and presented them to the wise men. He said, first, you tell me which of these cheeses is from the white goat and which is from the black one. <laughs> what happens when a young chick dies in its shell? The wise men of Athens asked Rabbi Yehoshua, since it is sealed in its shell, from where does its breath of life exit? It exits the same way it entered, he answered. <laughs> and then the last one. The wise men said to Rabbi Yehoshua, show us an object that's not worth the damage it causes. Rabbi Yehoshua brought a mat and unrolled it. It was now too wide to fit through the door. Bring me a sledgehammer so that I can break down the door and the wall around it. Then the mat will fit in. This mat is an object whose worth is less than the financial loss it engenders. Seeing that he had succeeded in outsmarting the wise men of Athens, Rabbi Yehoshua called for them to fulfill their part of the agreement to break bread with him aboard his ship. As the wise men arrived, Rabbi Yehoshua took each one to a separate room. Each one saw the sixty chairs. When each one saw the sixty chairs, he assumed that his comrades would soon be joining him. Rabbi Yehoshua then instructed the captain to hoist anchor and set sail. Just before leaving Athens, Rabbi Yehoshua collected a bag of earth. When they were at sea, they came to an eddy that would swallow up all the water poured into it. Rabbi Yehoshua saw three images, one with its hands on its head, one with its hands on its heart, and the final one with its hands behind its back. He took out a small jug and, reaching over the side of the ship, filled it with water from the eddy. When they arrived in Rome, Rabbi Yehoshua presented the wise men of Athens to the emperor. Because they had been away from their own land for so long, the wise men behaved humble and restrained. They in no way resembled the proud and lordly wise men whom the emperor had been expecting. These couldn't possibly be the men I asked you to bring before me, the emperor insisted. Can you prove to me that these are the wise men of Athens? He asked Rabbi Yehoshua. Removing a handful of earth from the bag which he brought with him, Rabbi Yehoshua threw it upon the wise men. Immediately the men of Athens sensed the familiar earth of their homeland and were transformed. In no time at all, their spirits revived and their aristocratic arrogance returned to them. Thinking they were close to home, they had no qualms about speaking defiantly and disdainfully to the emperor. 
You may do with them whatever you wish, a convinced emperor instructed Rabbi Yehoshua. Producing the water which he had taken from the eddy, Rabbi Yehoshua poured it into a cistern. Fill this entire cistern with water, he ordered the wise men, and then you are free to go. The wise men began bringing buckets of water. However, no, ma no matter how much they poured into the cistern, it kept getting swallowed up by the water which Rabbi Yehoshua had already put there. The wise men of Athens continued lugging more and more water until they collapsed and died. <laughs> wow. So, so you see the, the, uh, the sort of outlandish nature of this agotic passage here. But I love his responding question to the questions. It's so much like, it reminds me so much of Yeshua with like the Pharisees kind of doing it. It's like, where do you get your authority? It's like, well, you tell me where John the Baptist gets his, and then I'll tell you where I get mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the... Um, so now we're going to move on to the actual lesson itself. Um, there's several themes and concept ex concepts explored within this lesson, and knowing them ahead of time might help us to kind of understand more of it as we go through it. Um, obviously, joy and performing the mitzvot with joy, uh, faith, wisdom, and here at the bottom I've got Keter and the Four Worlds. Um, it's not really within the scope of this presentation to discuss these at length because they're extremely deep. Um, for now, just know that whatever is needed to um, understand them within the framework of this lesson will be explained, but if you desire further explanation, um, Ari Kaplan's Inner Space is an excellent starting point. It's a really accessible um, introduction to Kabbalah and its concepts. Um, not necessarily easy read, but it's it's a really good starting point if you need more background on it or anything like that. Um, okay. Alright, so the lesson begins and up until a certain point, these are the words of Rebbe Nachman and so I'm actually going to hide that for a moment um, until we pass um, is there a way to find out which Number slide I'm on. Mm -hmm. no. no, there's a progress bar. Okay, because I wrote in my notes which slide particularly, but no matter, we'll make it work. Okay, and so they asked him, Where is the center of the universe? He pointed up with his finger and said to them, Here. Who says so? They said to him, Bring a measuring rope and measure it, he answered. All right, so that's the basis of this particular lesson. All right, and then everything I'm going to say up to this point, right now this is the actual words of Rabbi Nachman that were recorded by Rabbi Nosen. All right, and then where I felt it was necessary, I interjected and um, prepared some explanation. Um, typically, when you study one of these, there's... Um, actually quite a bit of ink devoted to how to study a Rebbe Nachman lesson. Um, you should typically go through it first once to kind of get an idea of how the rest lesson itself flows, and then go back and read the footnotes and probably study this thing for a month. <laughs> and, and, and then you'll, you'll have some degree of, um, I don't want to even say mastery of it, but you'll kind of have a good idea of what's going on. So. What I did was I, I went through all the footnotes and I decided, okay, I feel like this was essential for understanding what's going on here. So, um, 
and there's a lot of other really, really deep and really, really esoteric stuff that it's like, well, I don't really want to confuse, A, confuse everybody, B, make sure everybody who's on the other end of that thing never watches again, or, <laughs> or anything like that. So um, I'll, I'll let you guys know when I am talking about something that, um, when, I'm this, when I'm adding uh, commentary. Okay, so it begins. No, there is a light higher than Nefesh, Ruach, and Neshama. This is the light of the Infinite One, a.k.a. where we learned last week. Ain't so. Ain't so. All right. See, this is, it's collective. Everything builds on everything else. So, um, and though the intellect cannot grasp the light of the Infinite One, the racing of the mind nevertheless pursues it. And by virtue of this racing, the intellect is able to grasp it in an aspect of Reaching and not reaching. For the truth is that it is not possible to grasp it because this light is on a level above Nefesh, Ruach, and Neshama. Okay, all that was the opening paragraph. All right? So, what do we have? The Or, Ein Sof, the light of the Infinite One, is greater than the light of the Nefesh, Ruach, and Neshama. This concept that he introduced of reaching and not reaching, um, how even the highest spiritual level can to some degree actually be attained. We can't grasp it with our intellect, but our mind still pursues it. Okay? We okay so far? Okay. Okay? Alright, so I'm going to continue with Rebbe Nachman's words. And no! It is impossible to even grasp the light in the aspect of reaching and not reaching, except by performing the mitzvot with joy. This is because through the joy of the mitzvah, holiness is perfected. It elevates the vitality and the holiness that are in the evil forces, similar to the eleven spices of the incense. For the evil forces are an aspect of excess, and they correspond to sorrow, as in Proverbs 14.23, in all sorrow there is excess. There are also harsh judgments, corresponding to Genesis 6.6. 6. He felt sorrow in his heart, and the essence of joy is in the heart. As it is written, you have put joy in my heart. That's Psalms. Alright, so let's look at what we have there so far. This concept of uh, perfecting holiness, uh, it's explored in great depth in chapter 10 of Inner Space, but man's mission in this world is to extract the sparks of holiness from the klipot, the husks that trap them, uh, that are created when we sin, and restore the vessels, not to their primitive state, but to a perfected one. We do this when we perform the mitzvot, each mitzvah a person performs extracts one or more holy sparks and further completes the structure of holiness. All right? Likewise, each generation extracts and rectifies new and additional sparks, constantly elevating them to holiness. It's a long, ongoing process and will, la and will last until the coming or return of Mashiach, 
whoever's listening, their mileage may vary. He will then extract the remaining sparks and rectify the entire world. Within this context, this process of extracting sparks from the lower realms, Re Rebbe Nachman's calls this perfecting holiness. Okay, so um, where are we? That's what he calls perfecting holiness. And this is really cool. The greater the joy with which one performs a mitzvah, the more complete and perfected the holiness becomes. So basically that means the heart with which we perform a mitzvah, it, it actually matters. Um, it's affecting worlds greater than anything that we can see. And so it, it, I'm hoping to impress that uh, upon everyone, uh, even more so by the end of the lesson. Right? So just this whole idea of perfecting holiness is that um, the greater the joy with which one performs a mitzvah, the, the more complete and perfected the holiness becomes. All right? um, we also heard mention of the incense offering. All right. um, we, learned about, we learned about the incense offering in Exodus, um, Exodus 30, 34, and... Um, they're outlined, you know, more definitively in Tractate Karatut, Six Bravo. Um, interestingly enough, I, I saw that if you're doing the Shakari prayers every day, there's also a, a number of the offerings and, and things of which the incense is included. So I was like, you know, for when I first started going through the Shakari prayers, I was like, gosh, what is all this? And, and, it's, like, and it's like, this is boring. I want to skip it or something like that. But it actually has a lot more significance and, and, and depth to it than, than we imagine, and um, it's there for a reason. Uh, as a little side note, um, it's been my desire for a long time, and kind of been, had it on the back burner, but I want to I do a, a class or a series of classes on the prayers themselves and some of the significance of why, why they're ordered the way they are and what, what's the special circumstance significance behind each one and, and, and so on and so forth. But just realize that, okay, don't, don't skip those. <laughs> they're, they're important, as we're going to find out. Um, and if I get ahead of myself, it's only because I can't tell which slide number I'm on. Let's see what we got here. All right, um, so basically, Performing mitzvot with joy, this perfects holiness. Um, the, uh, the Ari reached, to, uh, he, he explained that he reached the crazy high level of exaltedness and um, just greatness that he did simply because he performed the mitzvot with great joy. Um, Rev Nosen also, here's something that's a little bit practical for us. Uh, Reb Nosen says to make a daily habit of praising God for all you have. This will bring you to joy. Um, uh, let's see. It's actually, this is really funny. He also points out that we often hear stories about sages from the time of the Talmud who would joke or clown around prior to beginning their studies and devotions. The importance of joy is such that these tzaddikim sometimes even engaged in foolishness. This is because, in a deeper sense, the exile of the Jewish people is due to sorrow. 
The intention of these Saikim was to bring joy and happiness into themselves and their students. So we should clown around. Yeah, bit. so a little. I thought we already I'm not, that. I'm, I'm not going to specifically advocate tomfoolery and horseplay, but. Um, tomfoolery? <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, uh, you know, maybe kosher jokes or uh, you know, something that was really. That no, is. Not jokes about them. <laughs> yeah, uh, clean. Clean jokes there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was making a joke. One of the uh, 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 the daily habit right, thing is really cool. Trade. To try to do that like out loud with exactly. your family because like I th- I just noted a difference in my own life when I just to myself would try to be grateful in the morning or mm-hmm. to to thank God for something, but it's a different thing entirely when you do it at like the breakfast table and everyone around is is saying the same thing or or they're all hearing you and you hear yourself praising God for the things that you have, it makes a lot more of a difference than it's like awesome. out loud. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And so doing this on a regular basis will, no, because basically no matter how bad things are in your life, or how crummy, th- or yeah, exactly, or seem to be, how crummy your situation looks, there's always something that you can look at and say, hey, this is a positive. And doing this constantly, just like looking at the positive, no matter what situation you're in, this will over time elevate your elevate you to joy beyond that. So, um, so if we got any Eeyores or or or, um, or Bah Humbug or you know anybody that's like okay, I'm just kind of going through the motions or anything like that, stop. There, there's no call for it. All you have to do is start a daily habit of thanking God out loud. For the things, your blessings in your life, okay, and and so that's that's huge, and that's something that um, since I've been doing, since I've recent, since I've learned this, that's something I've started doing on a daily basis. Um, although, um, since I'm single, I can do mine at, at night. <laughs> One of the, the neat things I I experienced over this past weekend mm-hmm. was. The best way to relate it is you look at Sophia, and Sophia knows the rules wherever she's at. So as long as she's in the rules, you'll notice she's like extremely full of joy because she knows exactly what's wrong, and she knows that when she's in the right, she can live very fully. So Brukashim to you. Um, but on, that, on, a, on, a, on a higher level a different, a grown-up level. I was sitting at a Shabbat table this past week, and this guy just bust out an Arnold quotes. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> it's not a tumor. And I'm talking like six-minute six minute monologues. And I'm, on, I'm like on the floor <laughs> laughing. And like, you know, previously I would have been like, well, anything not biblical is bad, but for the sake of increasing joy, most everything is right. If it increases joy, um, and then and then what? What? That's the whole point. Is when you're inside the boundaries, mm-hmm. you know exactly what's right. You know exactly what's wrong. So whatever you have to do to increase joy, there, you should, you should do it. Last well, words from our recently returned Colby. Thank you. Very wonderful comment. Appreciate it. Your beard looks nicer. <laughs> okay, so that was the first part, uh, first half of the second section. And then the second part here from, is 
Now the exile of the divine presence, which corresponds to the heart, or the joy of Israel, is primarily when sorrow, that is the evil forces, overcome her. This is as in, he felt sorrow in his heart. Thus it is written that when the Jewish people will go out of exile, Isaiah 55, 12 says, for you will go out with joy. And because of this, that through the incense, the vitality of the evil forces are extracted, it is written of them, incense gladdens the heart. Thus, when a person performs a mitzvah with joy, he then elevates the divine presence, the Shekinah, which is the mitzvah, the joy of the heart, from among the evil forces. All right? So let's talk about that for a second. Doing the mitzvah with joy actually takes power away from evil. That's essentially what it's talking about in, in, in its most uh, uh, primitive form, I guess. Um, and so he talked about this in terms of the uh, incense. And then um, while the, this, is, this is really neat, um, and there's a Kabbalah concept that the Ari tells us that there are ten sephirot of holiness. We've probably all heard about the ten sephirot. That just as there are ten sephirot of holiness, there are the ten sephirot of the sitra akbar, the other side. While the sephirot of holiness draw vitality directly from the upper worlds, the sephirot of the other side must get their vitality indirectly by drawing it through the realm of holiness. Therefore, although there are only ten sephirot, the realm of evil comprises eleven sparks, the ten sephirot plus the spark of holiness that gives them life. All right. I have a question. Yes. I'm like the noob in the room, but yes. I don't know what the ten sephirot are. Ah, the ten sephirot. Right. Um, <laughs> where's, where's your book that you're drawing there? <laughs> it's my sitter. Sephirot is like the, I guess in the back of the book. Maybe the, uh, the, the back, easiest way yeah. to explain it is that like God is the infinite one, so he's he's kind of beyond our comprehension. The sephirot are essentially um, the way the, the manifestations of God that allow us to kind of comprehend it. It's almost like it's I think Johnny last week used the example of like a transformer with electricity. Like if you were to, if oh you were like to a plug, circuit. Yeah, like a circuit. Yeah, if you were to plug oh. in your lamp into like a nuclear power plant, it'd explode. Right. So you have to have things to um, uh, alleviate, uh, to um, truncate the power, right? And so, Keter, which is the highest form, this is like the realm of the Ein Sof, which we don't know, and all of these receive power from the levels above it, and. Uh, Malkut is the only one that touches this world. Okay, so I, I get your transformer example. It's perfect. I got it. Okay, so, so it's a circuit basically with like resistors yeah. and capacitors we that break down all this power so from above can, it. Yeah, so we don't to, explode. Exactly. Got it. So, so that yeah. we don't explode. I love it. So that we don't explode. So he's basically saying, correct me if I'm wrong. Okay, let's hear it. The evil forces are um, only able to exist in a sense in, in like because the good ones do, the separate are there, so they're having to draw their power, in a sense, from it. Yes. So then... So what happens is when we sin, that's where the sparks fall into the evil side. 
Okay. What's what's Judaism's view on evil? Yeah, yeah, that's a whole other class. Um, Essentially, it's evil still gets its its life force from Hashem, uh, just in a, a backhanded way. It's uh, evil is not its own. It's not a privation where it's just the absence of good, uh, but it's also not not a an independent force that. Like like the Christian view of Satan, where he's almost like a separate god running around. It's not the case at all. Evil is really can be can be utilized for good because that's where it draws its power. Right I'm trying that? to figure: is there such thing as evil, or is it hidden good? Um, good. It's like there's genuine evil. Well, you 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 talked about that in your class about like there's basically two approaches. Well, that's still against the Haran though, because against the Haran is just. Just desire. So if the Yetzirah is, is tempting you toward evil, that's when you smash it. But if it's just desire, you can redirect desire to good. But what you're asking is, is evil, evil. So let's say it would be like the, a seed of a tree. If it's a poisonous tree, you would smash it. But if it's an apple tree, you could plant it and use it for good. Okay. Would that be right? Is there anything wrong with an apple tree? <laughs> no, no. Is there anything wrong with an apple seed? No, that's why you use it for good. But let's say if you eat some fruit that may have a bad seed, is there such thing as fruit that is bad seed? I, I, I think don't we know. should. Yeah, we'll talk for about another time. You yeah, yeah, this is really cool. Maybe we can take that one. to do. Cool, but you should teach on that. Thank you for volunteering. There's a lot of questions up there, and let you guys answer. So that's the, the, the connection there is um, why the incense was mentioned um, in that um, the daily offering of the 11 spices was intended as a means for countering the 11 forces of evil and elevating those sparks of holiness contained within. Um, and then... Um, so... And then, of course, performing the mitzvot with joy is related to the idea of offering the incense because the incense brought joy. This is yes. the incense yes. is literally doing the incense is literally a mitzvah with joy. Yes. See, I've always been confused as to why God would like the smell of incense when you know He's just so much higher than the rest of us. And throughout the Torah, we see you know Please Abraham, you know Isaac, Jacob, you know I think even Noah. They all offered up and in the temple and the tabernacle, and he's like, "Oh yeah, this is the best thing since sliced bread." Um, <laughs> so that's always confused me. Like that's the best thing. That's since the one fruit. <laughs> that's the one thing that you know that God seems to latch onto. But this kind of makes sense. I don't. Maybe that's not the whole explanation for why that is, but it does kind of make a little. No, that's more a good sense. connection. That's a really good connection. I hadn't thought about that that way before. That's that's really good. Cool. And whatever whatever helps you understand it more too. That, that's cool. Just think about sliced bread. Yeah. <laughs> or forbidden fruit in any case. Or total fruit honey. <laughs> Alright, and then if there's a crazy pause here, it's only because I can't see what number slide I'm on and my notes were eroding them. It's of course not to slide thirteen. So I'm so you do want me to just check? Yeah, just check. Get out. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. 
You're on 10. 10. 10. 10. Okay. I am not that count bad. them for you now every time you hit the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Did we just move to 11? <coughs> no. This is the 10. This is still 10. There's so many trouble. Just like the sphere. Alright, so back at the, at the uh, first part of this section, he mentioned that um, evil forces are an aspect of excess and they correspond to sorrow, and all sorrow, in, in sorrow there is excess. And so um, it's referred to as excess because they're not something we make use of. For example, a shell of a walnut or an egg, which protects that which is of value inside. It in and of itself has no value and is therefore removed and discarded. Okay. So it's uh, that's what we're referring to when we're talking about the, the clay pot or the, a shell or a husk. It's a, around these uh, sparks of holiness. All right, and these were the scripture passages that uh, that he pointed out, just so that you can see them and kind of have them. Yeah, sometimes visually it's, it's a little bit better for people as well. So like, in all sorrow there is excess, Proverbs 14.23. <coughs> Harsh judgments, uh, 6, 6 in Genesis, he felt sorrow in his heart. Um, and essence of joy is in the heart. You have put my joy in my heart from the Psalms. So what you start to see is that he strings together this really, really nice little string of pearls um, for proof texts to say... Um, here's here's what I'm saying, and then all of these little scripture passages demonstrate that. They're proof texts. And so it's really quite amazing because Rebbe Nachman, he, he draws on pretty much every known major Jewish source. Okay? So the guy basically has the, the Zohar, the Talmud, Torah, Tanakh, everything memorized. So he can just kind of pluck out of them at will to, to, to demonstrate his point. It, it's, it's really quite incredible just some of the, uh, the sources that he'll use. So, um, and then we, the last part we described was um, just a little summation, su sum summation of it here. The exile of the di divine presence, aka the Shekinah, which corresponds to the heart and the joy of Israel, is primarily when sorrow, the evil forces, overcome her. Uh, it is thusly written that when the Jewish people go out of exile, for you will go out with joy, Isaiah 55, 12. Through the incense, the vitality of the evil forces are extracted, as it says, incense gladdens the heart. Okay? So, is it fair to say, then, that when Israel fails to complete the mitzvot joy, then they're more susceptible to the evil and the sorrow. Yes. Yes, very much so. But better than not doing a mitzvah at all. It does remind me though that passage in Deuteronomy when he um, when God when God teaches Israel and one of the things I can't remember the exact phraseology, but it is kind of something like that where it's like that people basically saying because you. Well, how does it? Because you did not do it with, maybe you no. did not do it with joy, or like you would like, you 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 were you acted begrudgingly like, yeah. towards God, mm. then like therefore all this like judgment came upon them. Yeah, it's like tail end of Deuteronomy somewhere. I think. Yeah, yeah, good point. 
He doesn't mention that one, but I know what you're talking about. Um, twelve. <laughs> twelve side. Is that the twelve? Pretty sure. Yep. Okay. <laughs> All right. So perfect. Um, so when a person, so what we have is when a person performs a mitzvah with joy, he then elevates the divine presence, the Shekinah, which is the mitzvah, the joy of the heart from among the evil forces. All right? All right? And he calls this, the concept of malchut, of the world of action, ascending from the evil forces. All right? That's, that's a mouthful, but it's really not that big of a deal. Malchut being a kingdom. Well, malchut being represented from the Shekinah. Yes, oh, it, it, okay. it's the uh, it's the sephirah malchut, oh, okay. um, not um, the expression of God in this world. Yes, yes. Um, but later there is a passage. It's funny enough that you mentioned that um, there's a proof text in, in First Samuel, I think, where it also mentions malchut, and it is the kingdom. <laughs> so yeah, so um, just wanted to make the, a clear distinction there. Can right. you can you summarize both those paragraphs? When a person performs a mitzvah with joy, X. What's the second part? Besides, yeah, in other words, the divine. Yeah, yeah. Besides, what? <laughs> oh, yeah, like two <laughs> what's it? What's it mean? When a person performs a mitzvah with joy. Well, I mean, because the idea is you're collecting. It's kind of like okay, if you've ever. I mean, this is a terrible example, but the best I can think of is like a video game, mm. and you're like running around trying to collect like gemstones or coins from like it's like Super Mario Brothers. You would just jump on the mushrooms, they'd explode, little coins would come out. Okay, that's kind of the idea you've got here, where like the the divine sparks are um, kind of encased, if you will, in these evil in evil. And so when you do a mitzvah with joy, it's like you're Super Mario jumping on the mushroom and the coins are coming out. Like you're, you're, you're like what the action that you're doing is is like um, uh, elevating the sparks out of like the evil attachments, so to speak, yeah. so that they can be truly holy. I was trying to figure out how evil got in this picture. So that's it's sin. Well, that's, so it's, the, the sparks. The sparks are contained. So I let's say I wear zitzi with joy. Butterfly effect. Some evil in Asia gets coins popped out of me. Is that what you're telling me? Well, so the, do, do you want to know how the evil got here in the first place, or what the result of your joy is? I'm trying to figure out what's the result of me putting on zitzi with joy. So there's the concept of whatever you do here is an arousal from below, and then that also has repercussions with the arousal from above. So. Actually, we're going to get into the oh, concept. Oh, is that too complex? No, it's so actually it's not a complex. Some, it's just, just like simple. Simple. some soldier misses when he's aiming at an Israeli. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? Can you say that louder for the. It's recording? what he said. It's um, something bad. So some terrorist misses when he shoots an Israeli. When yeah. When he wears a GC control. Exactly. Hmm. Same yeah. with Tefillin. There was a, a big rally, and yeah. they had, like, Chabad was literally out there trying to get every That's single person to rap Tefillin for that very purpose. Yeah. He just kept saying yeah. like, yeah. to everybody, yeah. like, hey, yeah. hey, we got to help our soldiers. Like, the, you know, yeah. the, the um, sages teach that this will protect our soldiers if we rap Tefillin. So cool. Plus, it's also the idea of, like, Tikkun Alam, repairing the universe. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, it's um, like, Again, it, like thinking of video game reference, it's like your goal is to collect all the coins, so to speak. So Mashiach comes back. I like the I like the repairing the world is that always helps me 
understand this more where it's like you know you do more repair the more joy you have basically like that's what we're talking about yeah. right. like it's a little bit less of a repair if you just kind of do it but, but you, 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 you can repair a lot more you can cut more ground yeah. with the more joy you got that's good it's a it's a good slide it's thirteen. Oh, we stamp approval. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Thirteen. Thirteen. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's eight. All right. So, so far we've discussed it. Um, so far we've discussed the divine presence, which corresponds to Makhlut ascending from the Klebot. All right. The husks that captured the sparks within Yudas sin. From the lesson, we see that this ascent refers to when we perform the mitzvot with joy. This joy, especially the Jewish people, is the holiness of the divine presence and clothed by the mitzvah. By performing the mitzvah with joy, the divine presence leaves its exile in the realm of the klipot. This is what is meant by that concept that I mentioned at the very end, malchut of the world of ascension, of action ascending from evil forces. Um, I mentioned that there were some concepts that are pretty deep for us to go into, and they're not a hundred percent necessary for our understanding of the, of the lesson as a whole. <clears throat> so I just wanted to mention that when he makes reference to the world, you don't have to memorize this or, or anything like that. It's just that okay, here's like the basic presentation of what those are. It's like we've got four worlds that are called. Atzilut, Beriah, Yetzirah, and Asiyah. And then um, there's the concept of the fifth world, which is higher, sublime, hidden, and functions as a go-between between the infinite creator and his finite creation. It's called Adam Kadman. Um, so that's just, that's just information. Don't feel like, um, what was that, or anything like that. It's, uh, it's helpful, but not a hundred percent necessary, but so I'm just it's here because for when we make mention of the world, these are what it's talking about. Okay. <coughs> this world is a world of action, it's about doing things. <laughs> Sunday. It's the only place we get to perform the next vote. <coughs> Alright. Um, fourteen. Fourteen, thank you. Alright. So on with Rebbe Nachman's part. So I'm gonna Alright. When a person performs some mitzvah, there's power in that mitzvah to go and arouse all the worlds to the service of God. These worlds. So it's when someone performs mitzvah, these these worlds are actually um, uh, incited to um, uh, service to God. Okay? So that's that's important. And then this is as in Exodus 10.9 With our children and elders we will go With our sheep and cattle we will go Which is the concept of Enclothing okay, And then if you saw the Remember the um, The Sephiroth chart There's Netzach, Hod, and Yesod Which he refers to as the Ambulatory Organs from Latin Ambulo, ambulare To walk, basically The our legs, what we use to transport ourselves. 
I never, I never thought I'd have an opportunity to use the Latin that I took in high school. <laughs> um, so there's these three, which correspond to the you know, basically leg, leg, and like the pelvic reproductive organ area. So it's our, that's it's those three sort of at the bottom. Of, all right. <clears throat> so what's going to happen as we see these? There's going to be um, an arousal and a lifting up, an elevating as it were. So there's these three, these three, and these three all being elevated as, as the course of the lesson progresses. And those are for, again, referencing the, the separate because they're in levels. Yes. So, so chart the bottom levels, levels, the bottom three like levels, you, the way you look at it is like a body. Top three. It's like the head, uh, the crown, it's like the head. And, there's, and then okay. you got like, it goes from there. Gotcha. Yes, it can be superimposed upon like a body, like Leonardo da Vinci's Vitruvian Man or something like that. You can see that okay, there's part first the arms and <coughs> like the solar plexus. This part's like legs and stuff. <clears throat> this corresponds to the Torah of his God is in his heart. His steps will not falter, for it goes to arouse. And this is the aspect of the going of my God, my King, in holiness, from Psalm 68, 25. And then the final statement here is, when Malkut is elevated into holiness, it includes the going of my God, that is, the Netzach, Hod, and Yisod, which we equated to the ambulatory part, so as to go and arouse all things to service of God. All right, so that's where that one ends off. And... All right, so yeah, just walk through that one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So There's wait, are you trying? So I do beer on his own. Okay. What happens? You I do form, enjoy. You well, form the mitzvah, yeah. and wherever there has been uh, sparks confined due to sin in the world, it, it it's my understanding, and you know, maybe Taylor or Peter can chime in, or anybody who knows about it. It may not necessarily be related to the uh, like a previous sin, like you did, like like a meal you missed doing the Birkat Hamazon for, or something like that. Um, it's my understanding that, or lack of understanding, that anywhere that a spark has been confined, it's it's released. It's not necessarily related specifically. To it's not a do-over, it's just a general. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, you know, someone on the other side of the planet, you could be releasing a spark for a sin that someone on the other side of the planet had, had and done. If I'm following correctly here, the, the links between the walking, mm -hmm. the going forth of God, yes. um, is, okay. So we've talked about how we're recovering the sparks in Malkut, mm -hmm. the bottom level of the Sephiroth, the yeah. lowest expression of God, is it, mm -hmm. in a sense. So he's trying to argue that it's not only doing that, as great as that would be, because that would be good enough by itself, but it's actually elevating the higher expressions of God, the Sephiroth. So in this case, he links it to the next level, which is associated with legs, if you were to think of it transposed on a body. So when he talks about like um, the Torah of God is in his heart, it's like doing the mitzvah with joy. His steps, and his there is referencing God, I would get, think, right? So then his steps will not falter. So there's the idea is like, 
you when you do a mitzvah with joy, it's like affecting the. I mean, this is obviously an analogy, but it's like it's affecting the legs of God. So it's like it's not just affecting the lowest level of of the expressions of God. It's affecting like the next level, which are associated with his legs, so to speak. Yeah. In other words, it's like it's like you're moving up, up the levels. Yeah, it is, it makes them, it it arouses these higher levels to want to serve God as well. Okay, so and. Basically it arouses it says, the higher levels to serve God. What's that? What's that mean? We've confused by that too. What do you mean? Again, uh, the higher levels are like expressions of God. Right. Well, it's the actual wording here is that it's uses to arouse all things to service of God. Oh, so okay. that that makes me think like the mountains, you know, the sky. Yeah. You know, things that are would normally praise like God in an object. Because yeah, it talks a lot about that in the Psalms, how, you know, the rocks will cry out. Sure, sure. And, and the trees so, are dancing and yeah, things like so that. When you say that, that's what I think. Yeah, yeah. Is, is that accurate or are we talking that, about that's, that's, I think it's kind of the idea. It's like, if you think, if you go to like, I think part of what he's trying to argue here is that it goes even beyond the physical world. It extends right. into the spiritual world. So it's not just like you're affecting the universe as you see it. Exactly. It's like you're actually elevating like the spiritual reality, it's almost like um, you're elevating the, 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 the matrix code, so to speak, behind the reality. It's like it's exactly. everything, everything, is, ab- everything above Malchut is imperceptible to us. Right. Could you do your point thing? That actually helped a lot. About the, the shooting the target and for the way that it was. Yeah. Right, so, right. Because all the spiritual worlds are surround this world. This world being in the center of like uh, concentric circles. Uh, The concentric circles of the world. And so the smallest little thing we do here has a huge effect the further out you get in the spiritual worlds. Just like when you're shooting a target. This this was so cool when Pete said this, but it's like, you know, if you if you miss a target that's really close to you just by like a millimeter, if you extended that out by like three miles that it's going to be like feet off you know instead of just a millimeter mm-hmm. and so that's the point here is like just a one little the, the gun firing would be like doing a mitzvah one little mitzvah here and might not look like it has such a huge impact like in this immediate place no one knows if you're joyous when you put on tzitzit in the morning right except yeah. you but the point being like on a huge massive like scale in terms of the spiritual worlds it has like huge repercussions and that's sort of the whole point of the whole lesson. It's it's realizing that performing the mitzvot with joy has impact far beyond what we can perceive, and so that's why we should be doing it. it it's it's releasing sparks and that have been confined due to the sins in the world, and it's hastening the coming of Mashiach, essentially. But he has a really brainy, elegant way of using this wise men of Athens parable to, um, to explain it. Okay? So, yeah. I'm sorry, sorry, go ahead. Oh, okay. All right. <clears throat> Anyone feel slightly lost? Do not feel bad. Every time somebody knocks on my head hurts. By that yeah, it, it's, but it's really it's, cool. It's, it's really heavy stuff. And, and by the way, I, I, I wouldn't have normally done this, but uh, last week, sitting on that 
place where Colby is, and Joseph was sitting where Peter is sitting, and he was like, so he was asking Greg Upham, who's up next? And Greg said he needed some more time. And I was like, well, I've been working on something. He was like, is it ready? It's like, it could be. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if, if anyone is kind of lost, bored, whatever, it it is difficult material. It is difficult subject matter. So don't feel bad. I guess that, that's my point. It's just like, I mean, my goal at the end of an Akhman lesson is to get a point, to get something that I really learned. Exactly. From and, and that's what I kind of already did. I already gave us the point. And then basically what this is working to is how um, Nachman explained what his response to the question about where's the center of the universe he, and um, how, how do you know and, and who told you go get, and go get a measuring. All of this is basically bringing us to how Rabbi, Rabbi Nachman and uh, to um, how Rabbi Yehoshua in the story answered the wise men of Athens. So just, I don't want us to lose the perspective in, in all of this uh, sort of head, headiness that, that's going on. And, I'm, and, I'm, and I am trying to move quickly through it because I don't want to keep us here all night, obviously. <laughs> so, um, uh, but again, it's, you know, you almost have to have read um, Inner Space or have a, at least know what the Sephiroth are. So if, if, so if some of this is, wow, don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. Because I probably wouldn't have presented this had the need not been here, been, had the need not been present, as it were. So, <laughs> so thank you all for uh, humoring me, as I'm it were. I'm enjoying this. It's like mental gymnastics. It is. <laughs> it really no, is. What, I, I like Rabbi Nachman's stuff. Like, at the end of it, you're like, whoa. Yeah, because the guy, he, he's literally on, on a plane so much higher than, than any of us will ever be or uh, even be able to look at, as it were, because he, he just knew so much and he had such a gift of divine intelligence. And, um, but he also had, um, but because of this, he had this great way of um, almost exemplifying the Sephiroth because he would say, oh, well, you can't understand this? Well, listen to this, almost like Yeshua would. He would say, he would take a difficult concept and tell it in a parable so that it was more accessible to people. That's kind of what he's doing here, and very much in Yeshua fashion. Um, it's just not exactly simple. Well, Yeshua was God, so he's pretty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then. saw this, okay, this is just a, uh, this the Psalms passage, the going of my God, my King, and holiness, um, we've, we've already covered that from the lesson, and then when Malchut is elevated into holiness, it encloses the going of my God, that is, that's a code in you so the lower three levels of the Sephirot, so as to go and arouse all things to the service of God, alright, and then, so this would be 15, 
demonstrating the, um, the use of the hands metaphor in, in that passage. You following? Okay. And therefore, this blesses all the worlds. Yes. All right. 18? Okay. This is 17. Next one is. All right. And this one's pretty short, and then we're going to get some cool um, uh, literary stuff going on here. All right. And then, again, there will be a nice little bow put on all of this. You know, when, when he makes the final explanation. Um, so the fifth section to this is that, and the main blessing which flows from the hands is intellect. When the blessing descends, it is concretized for each person according to his will. As it is written, you open your hand and satisfy the will of every living thing. Therefore, one who is spiritually sensitive should direct his will so that he draws the blessing of Shechel, intellect. This is as in Genesis 48.14, he, Sikel, crossed his hands. This also corresponds to Exodus 15.17, a sanctuary of God may your hands establish. Alright, so let's talk about that. The, the the Talmud deduces from the verse in Leviticus that when the Kohanim bless the Jewish people, they must extend their hands. Also think of the concept of laying on of hands. And we see that the hands are an integral part of the bestowing and transferring of blessing. And Yaakov bestowed blessing with his hands. Yeah. Okay? Um, Put that little Hebrew word he plays, plays on that because he's associated intellect yeah, I'm probably skipping ahead to the next one. No, no, it's, it's, it's right here. Now that we've finished this vision. No, no, no. Because that's actually right where we were going. On target. That was like right on time. You, you're, you're just mad because you're down two. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good, bro. <laughs> so this was the passage that we know from the the, the section in the Ashray Zion. Um, and or the Pesuket uh, de Zimra on uh, in any of our daily uh, readings, everyone knows that verse in Psalm one forty five sixteen. Here's the cool little thing. We uh, I, again, I uh, capitalized uh, the way they do in, in the, the book. I didn't do that in my own. I'm not taking credit for it. Um, but Sechel, the word for intellect, is related to Sechel. You see the the S, the K, the L, the S, the K, and the L. Um, how they're related there. So that, I thought that was pretty great. And so we're moving up a level here with this because this is another what they, what they call enclothing, wrapping around of um, the middle level, Chesed is actually enclothing Chokmah Binah Da'at. All right, so that's like shoulders and, and head area. Okay, so we're still moving up the levels. So, just back up here. Okay. Linking hands to intellect is uh -huh. the hands, because the intellect is what is the blessing that comes from the hands, which yes. is a blessing. Um, partly because in the Hebrew, where there are no vowel markings, it's basically the same word for intellect to when Jacob crossed his hands for a blessing of Ephraim and Menashe. Yeah. So you see, like, there's the, 
it's like he was bestowing intellect on them, as it were, because it's the same word. So when we're talking about this, so then the blessing that's coming is the intellect, where is the intellect housed? It's housed in the head. So now we see that the hands are related to the upper part of the sephirah, the, the top levels that are related to the head and the intellect. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> I think that's what he's saying. Yeah, I you, hope that's that, what he's you're saying. You're spot on. You're spot on. You're spot, I'm so, and, and I didn't say it that way. That's, that's, I no, I'm just trying to throw out another way of looking at it. No, that's, I'm you're right on track. You're right on track. All right. And then, 19. Thank you. Um, thank you, Peter. We, we need you. I lost back a long time. You're doing great, Kelly. Plus one. When the hand of God <laughs> opens and the, the illumination descends, each person receives commensurate with this ratzon, or that is his will or desire, like in the Psalm 145 um, uh, passage we just read. If a person desires, this is just a, a, an explanation of it. If a, if a person desires materialism, as like Laban did, um, the illumination will realize as material wealth. Conversely, though, a person who seeks the blessing of intellect will receive mochin, the mentalities or the brains necessary to perceive the light of the infinite one. So this brings to mind, you know, like we said with Laban, but also with Solomon. Yes. He, he desires for wisdom. Yes. And he received it. Yes. And in addition to that, because he didn't ask for riches, he got riches just because God can do that too. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, good connection. All right. Um, so again, we're moving our way up, and then, all right, so next section. And again, I'm trying to move quickly. Um, I will have the slides, and I will have even my notes if you want um, uh, to review this afterwards. It's, it's really worth uh, spending the time on it, and, um, you know, again, I've tried to cram into a relatively short amount of time here what someone studies for a month. You can't make this a two-part class, you know. <laughs> it wouldn't hurt. Mm. I mean, have to rush through Clear it. that with the higher-ups. <laughs> Ask and forgiveness son. rather than permission. That's what your will is. What happened? Okay, so. This is like a Tony Robbins class. Like, think about it, it'll just attract to me. Exactly. What? I don't think our answer if this is like Tony Robbins should ever be exactly. Yeah, well, we could say it's like a Garfield comic strip. Like, and you can learn it by osmosis. It's like he he would put the book underneath his pillow and he's like, yeah, I'm learning by osmosis when he's asleep at night. And it didn't work, so I was joking. Well, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've experienced learning biosmosis. Really? It's a real thing. Yeah, I sleepy with him. Okay, move on. Move on. I fell in love with my wife. <laughs> for the longest time, um, Never mind. my dad uh, would have me sit and just watch him code. I didn't literally never understand anything he did. And eventually, when the light went off, in my head, I, I finally understand it. All that is like came rushing, like, oh, yes, I now know what that means. Huh. So, I mean, there was a part of me that you know I had to learn something. But when you I shot learned, your hmm. I shot hmm. something, but I don't think it was, was that. You probably call that osmosis. 
Yes, but osmosis? I think that this is, there's something to be said for osmosis. You learn Torah by osmosis? Okay. <laughs> by asking motion? Asmotion.com? Oxmotion. <laughs> Alright, so the next section. So we're 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 we've just introduced this idea of intellect. Alright. So Rebbe Nachman's uh, lesson continues. It is also necessary to draw faith into the blessing of intellect, for one should not rely solely upon the intellect, as is known. This corresponds to a man of faith abundant in blessing, that is Proverbs twenty-eight twenty, and to Exodus his hands were faith, and to First Samuel twenty-four twenty, the Malchut kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. In other words, one should draw faith into the blessing of the hands. This is the meaning of I will build him a faithful house. And your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones corresponds to these mentalities. All right. So what we've just introduced is faith into the equation. All right. So, and what we're going to find out is there's um, another. Let's see how I summarize this. Plus one. <laughs> Minus. Draw faith into the blessing of intellect, for one should not rely solely upon intellect. A man of faith, abundant in blessing, his hands are faith. I'm not sure. Paul makes some sense now. <laughs> his hands are faith is referring to Moshe. Yes. Yes, exactly. That, that is that. that is, um, I was going to ask if you guys knew where that was in Exodus. And that's exactly where it is. Um, the Malchut of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, will be established in your hand. I will build him a faithful house, and your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. All right? Um, let's see. And that was. Remember that uh, when blessing his grandchildren, Menashe and Ephraim, Yaakov crossed his hands because he, he performed the mitzvah with joy. As it says in Psalms 14.7, Yaakov will rejoice. Uh, Yaakov had the power to transmit the power of intellect through his hands. Therefore, Yosef's sons desired this intellect. Yaakov, um, when they desired this intellect, Yaakov drew blessing of Sechel by Sechel. By crossing his hands, he blessed them. So, um, and Nachman picks up on this um, this word uh, similarity within the text. All right, <clears throat> and then to sum that part up, it's basically of all the blessings, the main one is the blessing of intellect, and this can be obtained by directing one's um, desire towards things spiritual. But if we're talking about faith now and how we're not solely relying on intellect. Uh -huh. Is intellect really something we want to then desire? Yeah, yes. It's it's like, um, we're, we're actually going to touch on that. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm not going to say that that was... Jump no, no, no. <laughs> it was a question. It was a question. No, no, no. no. Um, we're getting to that. Okay. We're getting to that. That's the first time I've actually... Uh, no, you're, you're, yeah, no, yeah. that was great. Okay. You're on the next uh, page. Well, it should be better. Never done that before. You just want to 
intellect has to have faith um, at the same time. So there's a, um, we'll get there, we'll get there. Yeah, all right. From the innerness of the blessings, which is the refined aspect of the blessings, the controls of the intellect are blessed. And that's where we're going with this, the controls um, which, um, basically inhibit them from going up too far, from getting too much intellect too fast. Because if you don't uh, have faith with it, then that's where flaws come in. So you're right on time with your question. These controls respond to Keter, as in Genesis 26.3, and Yehyeh, I will be with you and I will bless you. Keter is synonymous with waiting, as in Job 36.2, Katar. Wait for me a while. For when we ask a person something of intellect, he says, Wait till I compose myself. And there as well, emunah, faith is needed, corresponding to a wondrous aman, or tradesman. All right? So um, this had a really good um, explanation of that. Um, I am so on the spot right now that. I'm not finding it at the moment. Uh, maybe I wrote it on a slide. Twenty-two. Ah, here it is. Here it is. Uh, this was just a short summary. Um, Innerness is refined. It's refined aspect of blessings. The innerness controls the intellect are blessed. Controls correspond to Keter. And yea, I will be with you and I will bless you. And then uh, more linguistics here. This is what I was talking about. Keter is as, um, seen as waiting in Job 26.3. Qatar, wait for me a while. Control comes in the form of waiting as Elihu um, asks Job to wait as he gathered his thoughts, his intellect before offering his explanation of why Job was suffering. Make the intelligence wait to ascend too quickly by mitzvot with joy. Um, uh, this needs faith. Keter draws faith into the intellect. Keter being the top level. Yes. And just, the just so that, like, for, because I just learned this recently, but uh, in one of the Breslau pathway, Pathways thing, they were saying, like, how could you summarize all of Rabbi Nachman's teachings in just, like, one word? And the rabbi said, one word, patience. <laughs> so this, like, uh, this is a huge point for him when it comes to the waiting, and because patience, obviously, is connected with emunah and faith, because all that came from the Talmudic story uh, as well, about, like, waiting and patience. So, anyway. Very cool. Thanks. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Doctor, this question. 
What? Yeah. Yeah. So basically, we see that um, the Keter is basically making the intelligence wait because it wants to, uh, as we perform more mitzvot with joy, it wants to ascend too quickly. But at that point, it's only intelligence. It has to have faith as well. Okay, and then that's where the keter is needed to draw faith into the into the whole equation. All right. Um, the only thing I didn't really understand um, from all of this was the connection he made um, to when he, when he uses this interesting example at the bottom. Emunah, faith is needed, and this corresponds to this um, a wondrous aman. I put capital A and E together because it's supposed, I think it's like a diphthong. It's like a com combination of vowels, but it looks like a weird O in the text, and I couldn't draw that on my computer. And that word is tradesman. A wondrous is where they're where you're going with that. <coughs> uh, the word, the Hebrew word for wonder, is pele. Like when we see when we read in. Um, Mikomoka, Ose Pele. So the same thing. Working, working wonders. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's that same word. Um, interestingly enough, there's a, uh, a reference that the Tikkune Zohar teaches that Pele connotes Keter. So that's where the connection there is. But meanwhile, Eman is, simil is similar and suggests Emunah. So they're, again, it's another. Uh, word connection there, but to me it's far less obvious. Well, it only has the weird symbol in your English text because it's an olive and it's making two different noises. Yes. So it's the same three letters, E and M. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. Okay. The only connection is one just so, and so these are the concepts of Keter of the world of action being made from the innerness of Chesed, Geburah, Teferet, from the innerness of Malchut of the world of formation. This is how the worlds ascend higher into the world of nearness, uh, and yeah, until the world of nearness, higher and higher. And then we saw the uh, scripture passages, blessed is the glory of Adonai from his place, which we also say in our prayers. Um, blessed corresponds to the hands. The glory of God corresponds to faith, and from his place means Keter. Um, without going into uh, some of the deeper meanings of some of those things. Uh, that, um, essentially, it's, it's, it's worth everything. It. Yeah, exactly. It, it net wraps it all up into a nice little package there, and it shows all his associations that he's making. Um, so all of the sephirot are impacted by the mitzvah of joy. Exactly. Twenty-five. Thank you. Thank you. So, intellect. Mm. Intellect. <laughs> Sorry. Your company. Intellect. Um, must be tempered with faith. And it says that for by combining intellect with faith, Keter is formed. Keter controls the mind so that one can attain even greater levels of faith and intellect. 
this allows us, um, as we were looking at earlier, to come close to being able to perceive those higher levels of light, uh, the uh, the or and so the light of the infinite one. Okay. <coughs> now, um, I in section eight, this is where, it, as it turns out, Rebbe Nachman lost a lot of people. He was like. And, and Reb Nosen actually comes in later and says, okay, yeah, that was confusing. I'm going to explain this for you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm not, so I'm, here's, here's, the, here's the breakdown of section eight. Okay. So, because I was like, oh my goodness, it's, 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 it's already getting kind of on in the evening. And I was like, I'm going to have some like glazed looks by this time. I was like, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> um, even though I went through it. But the summary su summary of it is that by properly rectifying Keter, a person creates chambers, that is vessels, through which to perceive very exalted spiritual lights. Ultimately, he may even glimpse the light of the infinite one, the Ein Sof, the Tzatzakot, or splendors, which can only be perceived in the aspect of reaching and not reaching, which we talked about like a telescope. very early like a what? Telescope. Like a telescope. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I like it. Then <laughs> could you replace by properly rectifying Keter with by having joy in its boat? Because I didn't think we could have anything to do with Keter. That was exactly. the point though. Exactly. Building all so, the other exactly. so you could replace so, that. So that's exactly right. It's all related right. to yeah. down there at the bottom. Exactly. Great connection. So it's like we've done we've done the algebraic equation a equals b and b equals c. So therefore, a equals c. Although we we've, we've gone to more like k equals j. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We're we're so much further. We're probably talking about e i and pi right this time. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> Let's keep so it clean. I'm, I'm, I'm ridiculously close to being finished. So um, I'm going to try and wrap this up quickly. Why do you say he's um, So finished. section so that that was a summary summary of section eight and then. Section nine was basically Reb Nosen saying, "Hold up, wait a minute. Let's go back and catch some of that." Uh, so that's exactly what he did in section nine. He explains that uh, section eight a little bit more. All right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and try and bring us to um, the final parts here. So what does all this have to do with what the the questions that the wise men of Athens Asked. Um, remember, here are the questions that they asked him. Where is the center of the universe? Who says so? Bring a measuring rope and measure it. All right? <coughs> um, the light of the infinite one, what, what number size is this? 28. 28? Oh, wait. 29 now. Okay. Um, the light of the infinite one corresponds to the holy temple because the sages teach that the holy temple is at the center of the universe. So why did he point? Is he pointing at the temple? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Why is that? Why is too. So, um, and, and it says this in Tankuma uh, and Kadoshim tractates, Tankuma and Kadoshim. And so, here, in true A equals B fashion, you've got the first e equation at the top. Therefore, 
the center of the universe corresponds to the Ain Sof, the highest level of intellect and blessing. So that's how he was responding. Um, and he, yeah, he totally got them. That's, um, and then the pointing up with his finger part, so he, it breaks it down into little, little sections. Since we know that blessings are drawn through the hands, and here's the line of reasoning. Perform a mitzvah with joy. Elevate my flute, causing the netzach, uh, hod, and yisod to ascend. This ascends to the next level, the next set of three, on, the, on that body-type figure diagram of the sephirot. The, uh, the hands, which provides blessing into the world. Exactly that, which respond, respond to the hand, uh, correspond to the hands, bringing blessing into the world. Thus, Rabbi Hoshua pointed up with his finger, corresponding to drawing the blessings from the center of the universe, that is the Ain Sof. He uses this to indicate that the drawing of intellect should be for spiritual advancement, that is, perceiving the light of the Ain Sof. Hmm. Like, where's the, where's the center of the universe? Here, I just showed you. That's, that's what he's talking about, because the light of the Ain Sof is, up, is equated to the center of the universe. And those... Uh, men of Athens must be smart. They understood that. This is probably the one that, that he got him with. <laughs> they were part of that. Oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Anyway, next question. <laughs> rope out of this brand. Yeah. <laughs> what? I'm just going to try to make a rope out of this brand. <laughs> Infinitely more easier. I need to trim my knife garden. <laughs> And so, who says so? Basically, this means who is worthy enough to descend to the chambers of exchanges, which is in the chapter in the section eight that lost lost everybody. So, it's basically a place where um, the uh, the pope can. Inverse the uh, the holy to evil and the evil to holy. It's it's a place where this takes uh, where that takes place, and it's so basically who, he's saying who can even go into this place? Who's worthy enough to go into this place to redeem the sparks? That's that's their doubt. That's their their level of doubt that they're saying when they say who says so. They're, they're like, okay, well, how do you redeem these sparks? How do you do this? And um, let me see. There's a really cool section right here. Um, I'm almost done, guys. You're doing awesome. Yeah. Um, this part right here. Um, the Chamber of Exchanges is explained as follows. The other side, the Clipote are the forces of evil. They draw their power from their ability to exchange and invert good to evil and evil to good, darkness to light and light to darkness. All lusts and evil desires stem from this power whereby the evil appears as good and diverts a person from truth. Likewise, all strife and falsehood stem from these chambers and exchanges, including the falsehood which leads to hatred and anger. This is because the clipote whose power comes from the chambers of exchanges, entice and seduce a person with wrongful thoughts, even against friends, convincing him that there is good cause for him to hate and be angry. 
elsewhere Reb Nosen connects the chambers of exchanges to those who seek alien wisdoms and philosophies. These people lack faith and their lives are full of questions and sorrow. How can they ever have joy if they haven't the faith to console them when there are no answers? In our context, the chamber of exchanges are the cliplote which brings sorrow to the divine presence. That is, send the Shekinah into exile, uh, which we talked about earlier. Um, so, basically that means who is worthy enough to descend to these chambers to elevate the Klipot and thereby cause blessings to be drawn from the center of the universe. That is the Ain Sof. Who, who can do this? So, that's their level of doubt when, that they're expressing to him. Alright. And then... Does he answer that question? What's that? Does, uh, does the rabbi answer that question in the story? I can't remember if he did or not. He says, get a rope. Oh, is that what he says? Yes. And then, like, oh, so that's the, last, that's the last part. That's the last part. Okay. Okay. Those Cheerios. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think that's actually feasible. So what he does, so what he does is um, he pulls in another linguistic little cool thing and says the entire verse reads that God's portion is his people Yaakov the Chavel rope of his inheritance Rashi explains that God cast his lot with the Jews when Yaakov completed the Chavel that is the, the rope the first strand was Abraham the second was Yitzchak and only Yaakov the third strand made the rope complete he and his sons the house of Israel were thus chosen as God's portion or as the Rebbe says here they became his measuring rope yeah. Uh, and then the last part about measuring it, he says that in the future the joy will be so great that the Pope will voluntarily return all the sparks to holiness and themselves become nothing. To some degree, this process takes place even now. Even though it is presently impossible to do, a, do, a, do away with all the Pope, each and every person commensurate with his devotions and especially through performing the mitzvot with joy elevates the sparks from the klipot. This itself is the, the measure, that is. Um, performing the mitzvot brings about an accounting of the klipot. Those totally devoid of holiness are, illuminate, are eliminated and those which retain a spark of holiness remain. So when they say, how is, where is the center of the universe? That means, how is it possible to grasp the Ain Sof? He pointed with his finger and said to them, here, by drawing a blessing, Rabbi Yehoshua answered. This causes the mochin, the, that, um, the understanding and things, to ascend to the higher levels and draw the blessing of the intellect. When they say, who says so, but who dares enter the chamber of exchanges to elevate the sparks of holiness, how can anyone begin the process of ascending to the higher levels to draw these blessings when this entails first descending to the domain of the klipot? When he responds, bring a measuring rope and measure it, the Klipot will themselves elevate the holiness. Rabbi Yehoshua answered, And once the sparks of holiness have been removed, the Klipot will be totally destroyed. Therefore, there is actually no need to descend to the Klipot. That's actually really cool. Those that are nothing but evil will be completely destroyed. Those that have a spark of holiness will remain. So, that's where performing the mitzvot with joy comes in. We're redeeming those remaining ones and hastening the coming of Mashiach. 
So is this kind of similar to the idea if, you know, everyone, well, everyone, yeah, if everyone observed the Shabbat in its entirety for one day, you know, the, just the simple fact that... Yeah, there's the, the same that the Chazal have that say if, if um, I don't know, I've heard it different ways, so if someone knows it the real way, I've heard that someone says, uh, if the whole world, if all the Gentiles start to keep the Torah, or if, if all the Jews observe the Shabbat once altogether, I, I don't, I've heard it, I've heard it both ways, um, that Mashiach will return. So, uh, what's that? Okay. Your mileage may vary. <laughs> yes, you can say, and will come, because if he's returning, he is still coming. It denotes it. It's it, 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 correcting it, if you wanted to get what the rabbis it's were actually saying. It's included. Saying. But, it's but included. that's, I guess, the, the, the idea that's kind of in what you just said, mm-hmm. right? the quote and all that. Okay. Yes. Got exactly. it. Oh, I, I hope I'm done. Okay. Um, what time is it? Game time. Nine o'clock. Yeah, okay. So I, I don't have time, um, and I really wish I did, but um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the, um, the prayer that goes along with this. Basically, Rabbi Nachman encouraged his students to compose prayers based on Torah lessons, and guess what? Reb Nosen did one for every single one of Rabbi Nachman's lessons. Sure, yeah, so this is one volume of four of Reb Nosen's prayers. Whoa! <laughs> what did this it's, called the, it's called the 50th game. It's one of four volumes. What's that? It's one of four volumes. That's what I said. It's one of it's one of four volumes of this exact same size. Wow. Um, many prayers. Yeah, and, and the prayers are incredible. If, if you ever need inspiration, in you, like in your personal prayer time, and you just don't know what to pray about, the poetic language of this rivals that of even King David, and it. Um, I can honestly say that it's um, like there are prayers in here that have brought me to tears a number of times, just because he approaches um, he approaches the prayers with such humility and um, just a level of saying that I'm nothing before you, God. That is very humbling. And so, if um, I'll, I'll, you know, if anyone's hanging around for a minute, or if you just got a split or whatever, um, I've incorporated number tw- uh, prayer number twenty-three, which has a lot uh, special significance to um, my life. You know, it um, it has a topical index um, to it that, but each prayer also has a list of the topics included in it, and in it, it talks about the covenant sexual purity, happiness, faith and truth, money, the mezuzah, envy, and conflict, all of which are covered in, tw- in 23. So just like he took um, the concepts of joy and faith and um, uh, keter and some of these concepts that were addressed throughout the lesson, he composed a prayer based on these concepts from the Torah lesson. Um, it's, it's called the 50th gate, and um, also called um, Likute Tetlot, uh, Tetlot being prayers. Um, so I encourage you guys to, um, in addition to ramping up your joy when doing the mitzvot, to 
check out some of these incredible prayers. Um, I, uh, oh, this is kind of funny. Uh, I think it was Peter that talked about how we can actually all call ourselves the bread slaver. Help me, help me with this if I totally screw it up, Peter. But the idea that if you rearrange the letters of Breslov, you can, you, it'll say Lev Basar, which is the heart of flesh. That talks about, like, harkens back to the Jeremiah and these Ezekiel passages when God will remove our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. That's really kind of cool. Um, and Breslau obviously was a city in Ukraine from which nothing hails. Um, it scripture speaks to the circumcision of the heart and that the Torah will be written on the fleshy tables of every heart. So when you rearrange the letters of the word Breslav, it says Lev Basar, so the heart of flesh, which you're not going to be performing mitzvah, mitzvah with, jo- with joy unless you have a heart of flesh. So I think that's it. <laughs> This was a lot of work, and it was really deep, so thank you guys for hanging with me through it. <laughs> can you do the blessing after studying Torah? I can. I can. Hold it. After I finish this. Can I Okay. Is it a bathroom trip? You might have to go do that, because you don't want to become sterile. <laughs> we thank you, O Adonai our God, that you have established our portion with those who dwell in the study hall, and that you have not established our portion with idlers. For we arise early, and they arise early. We arise early for words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. We toil, and they toil. We toil, and receive reward, and they toil, and do not receive reward. We run, and they run. We run to the life of the world to come, and they run to the pit of destruction, as it is written. And you, O God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days, but as for us, we will trust in you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. Yahoo. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you.